0: Welcome
1: to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
0: Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine, but I've had to turn off the fan to record this. So I've wrapped an ice pack, <laughs> a therapeutic ice pack from my slipped discs last year, um, around my body. And it is the hottest day in history of the universe. And last night for dinner, I had a curry because <laughs> I had bought a, um, one of those posh ready-made curries, and it was about to go off, and it was nine quid. And I thought, no, I can't be throwing that away. I had to sit and suffer with my ice pack, my massive period, and um, and my curry in front of the telly. And also, I am trying to relax and read a book in front of a fan last night to try and get away from sweating and, and, and sort of hate watching Love Island. And I realised that I read a book two weeks ago called I Am Pilgrim, which was so exciting, listeners. It was so exciting. It was a fucking thriller, which is not my genre. Oh my God, it's ruined me. Everything else I pick up feels pointless. I'm like, I don't want to read more, uh, you know, lady stuff and emotional stuff and historical stuff, which is all I have ever read in my life. I want more like some fucking undercover MI6 lunatic in Bodrum, you know, with, with a, you're turning a you know, toothpick into a deadly weapon. Anyway, how are you, Em?
1: I mean I'm absolutely fine Annabelle. I also read the book and I was literally about 50 pages behind you the whole time and we kept going <gasps> anyway, it was a very stressful experience. I, I Wasn't it brilliant got, though? It was so brilliant. I Am Pilgrim by someone called Terry. Terry
0: <laughs> yes someone called Terry. <laughs> didn't he
1: write didn't didn't he write Dead Calm? I think he wrote Dead Calm and we looked about and he wrote something else, not the wire, but something else equally kind of big sensational, and, sensational yeah. and kind of No, it wasn't the Wire. Anyway. I'm absolutely fine, but I've got a spider bite, so I I feel like I'm going to die. There's
0: something disturbing about the spider bite, isn't there? The idea that it it crept up and it bit you and you never knew it was there.
1: No, exactly, and and, and the only reason I think it's a spider bite is because it's got a ring around it, and I looked up. I literally Googled Dr. Google what has a ring bites with a ring around it and they were like spider bites anyway um but the reason i'm talking about my spider bite is actually to deflect from my real I'm absolutely fine which is my shoe shame annabelle oh um,
0: dear i don't because, know if you should share this
1: <laughs> because so normally i run all my purchase decisions <laughs> through annabelle because i think of everything i wear including at a brilliant party we went to the other day and i was like yes no she's like no try again try harder and um anyway i snuck off and bought some shoes in H&M for a fiver with my daughter it was a clearly a catastrophic error anyway um unfortunately I would never I can- have known would I <laughs> you never would have known apart from you came around to our house um yesterday to record um another podcast and uh, and you were like these are your worst yet you said it quite triumphantly actually
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy your terrible shoes but this is an all-time high slash low <laughs> anyway and you knew it um, because you were keeping them from me your shoe shame
1: I was like I said to you this morning you would never have seen them if it hadn't been for the fact that I you had to come over and that they were nestling underneath the table anyway so I have disgusting shoes (laughs) I have disgusting taste in shoes anyway there we go but I'm fine anyway listen I love my job okay but and maybe you love your job Or maybe you spend an alarming amount of time crying in the loo, working in the evenings to meet deadlines, feeling underappreciated and trapped, hoping meditation, ha, will sort it all out. And if you're constantly teetering on the brink or staring into the overwhelm, well, we have a book for you. Anarchy Somerville is an author and journalist, podcaster and woman familiar with The Edge. And she ditched her toxic work environment and set about finding that elusive life-work balance notice that we put life before work here anyway she has written a book the big quit to help you do the same so anarchy how are you
2: i'm absolutely fine but i've got a kind of pool of wet sweat which is collecting in the bottom of my I suppose I can only describe them as kind of anti-chafe pants. So they're kind of, they're kind of, I had to make this really complex decision process this morning because I was kind of like, I need the anti-chafe, but I also know that these are very hot, you know, and obviously we're on the hottest, hottest day of the entire universe. Um, So at the moment I've got a kind of pool and I can only describe it as a pool of kind of, talcum powder mixed with sweat because I've also rediscovered the rebranded talcum powder that's quite safe um, and I poured that into my into my sort of anti-chafe underpants.
0: So uh, have, you, have you created almost a
2: paste? Well it was interesting I saw someone yesterday <laughs> on Instagram had shared the fact that they were creating a kind of batter in their yes. kind of <laughs> in <laughs> their kind of nether regions and that's kind of how I feel bottom at the batter. moment. Bottom bottom bottom.
1: There's a woman on TikTok who accidentally put, <laughs> confused the talc with the flour and made kind of bottom cake is what she called it (laughs) yes but that's the thing that now I think because conventional talcum powder wasn't
2: seen as being safe the thing that I've actually got now is maize powder so I think it's been (laughs) rebranded and I've kind of poured it down and so now I've got this kind of congealed pancake sort of sitting down (laughs) around my bum area so Mm -hmm. but I just think I don't know what do you do on a hot day what do you sort of prioritize the chafing or the sweating I think Um, you have to prioritize the chafing Because one is undignified,
0: which we're frankly at this point in our lives completely used to, and the other is actually painful.
2: Yes, you're right, you're right. The other kind of cause is a rash, doesn't it? The kind of chafing. So you have got yeah. time for a rash. For that <laughs> thing. I know. I know. I know. But I'm just worried that when I stand up, it will have just gone hard and so I'll just have like plaster of paris underpants.
1: <laughs> you might have to like chip it off. You might have a kind of like exactly like a sort of perfect mold.
2: Yes, exactly. Maybe I can do that. Maybe it will have created Send us a bum mold. Exactly. And we'll share exactly. it on Instagram. I
1: that, I bet there's a corner of the internet where you could make an absolute fucking fortune for selling your or bum moulds plaster of paris bum <laughs> yes. mold of middle-aged yes, all just yes. your
0: sweaty anti-shape knickers <laughs> yes yes well i'm
2: going to google it when i when i hang up because there must be, be some
0: positive exactly yes so anarchy what i want to ask you is um when things got really bad for you at work and with your work life work life work 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 non-balance imbalance how bad was it and and, and why how did that come about
2: well, it was an interesting one because I worked in market research for about 18 years and what I didn't recognise was the fact that it was it was bad on and off for many, many years, but I kind of dismissed all the symptoms. So I had recurring kind of headaches. Um, I was kind of taking quite a lot of painkillers. I was I was drinking, but it was kind of... I'm talking about the kind of slug and lettuce days when it was quite normal to go and have, I don't know, six pints after work on a Friday or, you know, that was that was kind of <laughs> on the norm. Yeah. And then have sex <laughs> with the IT guy, I'm <laughs> Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> Can um, I and tell then, you, that story did fucking start in the slug and lettuce. My Is where ashamed. you got
0: drunk before you had sex with the IT guy? Yeah. The slug <laughs> and it. lettuce, we used to call it. A long time ago, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> If
1: anybody is listening,
2: God, I'm glad that you also remember this lug and lettuce, and then it kind of when
1: I'm glad you remember
2: the IT guy. I'm glad <laughs> you remember <laughs> the IT guy. <laughs> It got gradually worse and I kind of realised that I was sort of experiencing overwhelm almost every day, like on a daily basis. So um, the the hours were very long. So I think similarly to kind of working in, in the media, actually, you were kind of expected to do a full day of work and then do evening groups and to travel quite a lot. Um, I then sort of... I suppose several times explored other options but because I'm the breadwinner in our kind of couple I always need to be the main earner so I don't really have that kind of I can't really go off. I kept hearing about people doing side hustles and I was like, that's all well and good, but I can't afford to do a side hustle. I need to just keep my nose to this sort of grindstone. So I did, I suppose it came up to when I came back off maternity leave and I came back, there'd been a restructure. I just started to feel sort of angry every day. You know, I was kind of, you know, overreacting to things. I felt like actually I hated, I sort of dreaded. I had that Sunday night dread that we get when we really don't enjoy our job. And uh, I was really catastrophizing. So, you know, crying a lot in the toilet, crying in the lift, trying to find excuses to sort of phone in sick, all of those kind of symptoms, really. And I think as women, we often think that we just sort of live with that. And I think our relationship with work is often just certainly my generation was kind of like work isn't to be enjoyed. Work is just, it is work. You go there and you put in your eight hours or your 12 hours and then you leave, you know. And then when you retire, you finally get this kind of glorious, you know, cruise land kind of lifestyle where you can wear Hawaiian shirts and smoke cigars and all (laughs) of that stuff. And I hadn't really realised that that, of course, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think gradually I started to move towards more of the stuff that I wanted to do and I suppose that was more of the writing more of the kind of podcasting and even up to the current day I still work so I still have a regular job and I'm kind of keen to stress that because I think too many women kind of listen to to work advice and think oh I wish I could do that but the financial constraints are such that they can't actually hearing you say that makes
0: me want to say that Emily and I both also have jobs yeah. Yes,
2: exactly. Which, and yeah, I think yeah, those very much
0: so. people who engage with us over this or on Instagram wouldn't wouldn't perhaps know, and I think that can be um, a danger of what you see online, can't it? That you think it's such that, a danger, that these women but, are living these dream lives, just having a laugh with fabulous people like you and recording with ice packs up there, you know, bums. <laughs> I
2: know. I think it's I think it's a really good message to get out there, and also, I mean, part of what I've sort of covered in the in the book is not to be too idealistic in the pursuit of the perfect job so I think a lot of us sort of it's almost like how we believe about the perfect man Mm. it's kind of like at some point I will find this perfect job where all the colleagues are amazing the workplace is is idyllic you know the kind of flexibility is right the kind of type of work I'm doing is going to be really great and stimulating and I don't think I've ever really discovered that. All I've discovered is slightly better kind of jobs. Um, and, you know, the, the role I have at the moment,
0: I absolutely love. But also, I suppose jobs aren't meant to make you happy all the time, just as in life isn't meant to make you happy all the time. So again, we're constantly sold these fraudulent lies, like you know, the happiness myth and, and, and the, and the, you know, the perma-happiness-in-job myth. Absolutely. And it was funny, before I sort of,
2: this morning I woke up and I was sort of thinking about what were the role models that I had growing up when it came to work. And I realised that I'd based most of my career expectations around Dallas and Dynasty. <laughs> so essentially I really believed that you were either going to be someone like Joan Collins and be a total bitch, you know, and but also have all the payoff of being able to get in the hot tub with Dex and, you know, have sexy times. Um, or you were going to be somebody really wimpish and not particularly respected like like Crystal, you know, who was a bit of a wimp, and obviously she was in a different genre. There was kind of this whole mix-up between kind of like, do I want to be that bitch? And I was kind of like, no, do you know what? I've got to the top of the ladder, and I haven't got the payoff, I haven't got the hot tub, I haven't got the kind of sexy music, I'm just very stressed, and I'm not enjoying myself. Because I should say that by the time I'd worked for 18 years, I had got to managing partner level, so I was kind of like, supposed to be all I suppose have all the outward trappings of success you know mm. people kind of respected me I was earning lots of money I was spending inordinate amounts of money on clothes which you know that was kind of the only way I could kind of dig my way out of my sort of depression that I was having around work so you
0: were shopping your feelings basically
2: shopping my feelings which I think a lot of women do and I think certainly if you're a child of the kind of 80s we were kind of schooled in doing that you know well, you yeah was that
0: awful stupid phrase retail therapy
2: Yes, exactly. Which actually is not a healthy thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really not. And it's actually hard that when you've grown up with that culture and, you know, it's something I'm trying to educate my own kids about It's like, actually, it doesn't make you happy. You know, if you're continually on this kind of up and down of kind of buying stuff, essentially kind of buying stuff, hoping that the buying stuff will make you feel better and then realising it doesn't deliver. Mm. And then you're sort of caught. And I, I saw a lot of my colleagues were really caught in this very sort of consumeristic kind of culture where... I think when you get into earning a bit more money, your kids start going to certain schools, they have certain holidays, you start, one of my colleagues used to buy kind of custom-made trainers that were made by Eskimos or something. I mean, it was just, it was just bonkers. It was kind of ridiculous. And yet, when I looked around, I often thought that some, some of these people were very, very deeply unhappy, mm. um, you know.
0: Um, and so you started, uh, after a maternity leave, was it, just doing a little bit more of what you fancied?
2: Yes. I mean, I should say that I was entirely lucky in that the the company called people up to take voluntary redundancy. And so that actually gave me the perfect opportunity to leave that job and To start, almost immediately, actually, I started writing um, and I did, I sort of started writing a fiction book. But I had some time then because I obviously had a bit of cash because I I got some, got a settlement for taking redundancy. And actually, all I did was instead of looking for the perfect job, I just started doing more of the things I liked whilst Mm. I was still doing market research jobs as a freelancer. So it was almost kind of like doing a bit of work that um, I loved and a bit of work that I loved a bit less, but it was keeping us financially kind of steady.
0: One of the things I really liked in your book was um, when you're trying to work out what you want to do next, the idea of looking at your work history and you you draw a line on a piece, piece of paper, then branches coming out, identifying the highs and lows of your work life. So basically looking at what aspects of work that you've done were particularly rewarding, times when you've really enjoyed work where you were, what you were doing, who you were doing it with, and then look at the low times and what do they all have in common. Yeah. Um, and that seems like quite a quite a good exercise because you you know because a job is not doing one thing generally, is it?
2: No, and I think that's the thing is that you almost have to as you get older. Prioritize what's important to you. And as I sort of mentioned, I don't feel like you can have everything. I think that's kind of unrealistic. And actually, I, I think, as, as you touched on, you, nobody has everything when it comes to relationships with, fa- you know, family, with homes, everything. So I almost think you sort of get a, a list of the things that almost your must-haves, you know, the stuff. And, and it might be something really basic, like, I want to have a short commute, mm-hmm. you know, I want to work with people that are decent and I can get on with, you know, I, I want to have... Um, some projects that I work on that
0: I enjoy. I may also I equally... liked on. Um, I liked on your list that you've, you that you put in the book. No enforced socialising. <laughs> no no of enforced socialising. Yes. No I mean, enforced socialising of any kind. And when I think back to jobs that I've had, and I've made sensational friendships, in a few of them, Emily is one of them, and a few other people who are, you know, my best friends are very valuable to me. Even then, I didn't like the worky party stuff. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather see them on our own time, our own agenda. It was always awful. Yes.
2: And I think that's kind of, it's funny, isn't it? I suppose maybe it's different when you're younger, because I think I probably enjoyed it more when I was in my 20s. Um, you know, I quite liked going to the slug and lettuce and having six pites. And you know, that that helped, that certainly helped me keep going. But we also used to do these things where we all went together as, as a company to another location. And these were quite exotic places. So we might go somewhere like San Francisco as an entire company. And those when I look back on it, I was exhausted because there was just this, this whole idea that you had to socialise with people that you didn't know particularly well um, for long extended periods of time. I think now what's happened post-COVID, which is funny, is that it's actually sharpened our vision in terms of what we want from social stuff. So it's like in the same way that you might do with your job, you really do think like, is it people that I like? Is it going to be fun? Is it close to home? Can I sit down? Is the music too loud? And if, if any of those things don't kind of feel right, you're kind of like... Like it's not worth the bother. And that sounds awful, but, but now I'm, I'm much better. And I mean, I've written a bit about setting boundaries, which I know is a very popular term now. But I do genuinely, I think I heard Marianne Keyes saying in a podcast that one of her happiest moments is when a friend cancels a social arrangement <laughs> at
0: about 4pm. you like so that you're giving you a like, present.
2: Yes, it's exactly. So she knows that then she can just slob out on the sofa oh, and watch I Netflix. Know. The most um, tense
0: text to send is, are we still on for tonight? I know,
2: and you're kind of bracing yourself, going, "Please, please, somebody say that it's not going ahead." Yeah. I do, th- I, I do love socialising, but certainly the work socialising comes much further down on the list now.
0: I know all those funny bells and whistles. I mean, you wrote women in our sort of forties and fifties. We knew work before it became beanbags and brainstorms and blue sky thinking and drinks on a Friday night and away days and chai lattes and posh breakfasts. We knew work when you know it was just work, and there were you know there were downsides that when some bloke stuck his hand up your skirt when you were asking for a pay rise. But there were also pluses to that.
2: Mm. I think there was. And I think there's also the fact that nowadays... I find like the technology is so overwhelming you know it's kind of it, in the days when I was first starting out in the office which must have been the same for you as well was it was a fax machine so you kind of sent a fax machine and then you you sent a message and you then waited maybe a day or maybe two days for something to come back again but it meant that the timelines on things were much slower and now I think because our expectations are is that people are kind of replying within two seconds that we've set this pace for work which can feel quite debilitating for a lot of people. So I think one of the things I'm a big kind of um, fan of is really logging out and working for a while, like having dedicated periods of time where you're not on Slack, and you're not on email, and you're actually doing your work. Because I found that certainly as I've sort of gone back into different agencies and environments, the pace is brutal. You know, it really Mm. is. It's kind of like trying to play the piano and make spaghetti at the same time Mm. every day. It's kind of, you're spending a lot of time replying to messages whilst at the same time trying to do the things that the messages are about. Um, (laughs) I know, I like
1: what you said about flow state, which is, I think, a buzz phrase that we're going to hear so, so much more about in all aspects of our lives. But with work, you know, to actually create a kind of, a, a sort of an optimum work environment for a set period of time in order to get what you want done, and that that is actually incredibly much more satisfying than as you said trying to kind of you know make the make the pasta and type the concerto or whatever you know. And
0: and, and presumably and, and everybody has a different flow state. You yes. know, I would say don't try and answer the emails while you're trying to get something done. But other people, I suppose, would, you know, are happy to keep five plates in the air and then just, you know, stop completely for a while. I don't know. I'm sure there are a myriad different ways mm. to go with our myriad different personalities.
2: And I do wonder a little bit about, because we're not digital natives, you know, we didn't grow up with this technology. We grew up with different kind of work environments. And certainly when I talk to other women who have been out of the workplace for quite a while, they're like, oh, I don't think I could cope with the kind of the technology aspect. And, you know, I do write about that as well, because I think that's a big barrier because people are like, oh, they're using all these different kind of platforms. And how do I use those? And I feel like everything's changed and I'm kind of like really on the back foot Um, And one of the things I've sort of advised is that you almost find a younger mentor, you know, whatever you want to call it. um, And you kind of can offer them some advice in terms of because I think one of the things you get with experience is that you realize that no no one dies when things at work go wrong. It's just a crummy day at work. And actually people can have a cup of tea and they can recover from it. I think when you first enter work, you're kind of like, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. Somebody's just sent a really shitty email and we're all going to die. And actually, Actually, as an older kind of employee, I feel like I can sort of go, listen, just chill out. This is fine. Let's <laughs> yeah. not add kind of kerosene onto the fire. Let's just breathe. Let's send a nice reply back. Let's manage this. But whilst we're at it, can you show me how to use this platform? Because I've got no bloody
0: clue what's <laughs> going you know, on. But, but you're absolutely <laughs> right. Because I think Gen Xers, who, um, who straddle analogue and digital, one thing that we did know how to do was relationships. Mm. obviously I don't mean romantic relationships Uh, in my case I mean professional relationships you know we knew how to deal with people and I think maybe that's where we can offer some real wisdom
2: yeah and I think it's also just the benefit of you've you've done it lots of times I mean we've Mm. all had really shit days at work um and I was guilty of it as well I mean I used to you know, when I was in my old job, I really would kind of wake up in the morning and I'd feel like I was dying at the thought of the day ahead. You know, mm. I'd be unable to sort of gain any sense of perspective. And I feel like now, in order to succeed at work, a big part of it is managing your kind of mental health. And I know that's a massive buzzword and self-care. Everyone's talking about self-care, but it it does really matter because at the end of the day, if you're going to sort of not look after yourself, and it's the same with parenting, it's sort of the same with everything. You will just get burnt out, and you will just end up in in one of the books I wrote I kind of have a character who just loses the plot and I used to fantasize a lot about that at work at kind of standing on a table suddenly becoming a rap singer stripping off you know telling everyone I hated them you know (laughs) chucking crisps at them whatever finally sort of getting my moment to to give individual emails to every single person to say how much I hated them and why, you know, in bullet points. Um, and I always fantasize about that. And you will get pushed to that point unless you sort of slow it down a bit and look after yourself. And I always remember that, unfortunately, in most cases, your work won't do that for you. You know, your no. work really doesn't give a shit. Um, I mean, I feel at the moment I'm in a, a company where they do care about that kind of thing. But I still feel there's a lot of twaddle in that kind mm. of space around kind of we, we care about about our employees, but really, if you look on a practical basis, there's very little being done to take care of them in terms of their mental health.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Emily, you had that experience, didn't you, of running yourself completely into a brick wall?
1: Yeah, and actually, so I really identified with one of your quotes, actually, from a fellow writer called Flick Taylor, who said that she basically she was talking about burnout, and she was saying she just couldn't believe she was burning out, and therefore she tried to will her burnout not to happen by. Increasing her workload, and I think in my experience Leaning in, very, basically yes exactly, and I think um you know when I was sort of hearing voices and crying in the loo and totally losing my shit, I just couldn't believe that I couldn't cope, and that made me think i've got to try harder, but of course that is the opposite of what you've got to do you 've got to lean out and I do think I do think it's really hard for for women and I do think it's really hard the way that the work structures are set up even the new ones that are all the beanbags and the chai lattes and whatever they're still set up with this kind of work structure that means you know either either that you have to be logged on at a certain for certain periods of time or whatever and or you have to show up or whatever it is and and it makes it I think it makes it it's very very hard I think to people who are juggling more than just you know the Mm. the spreadsheets
2: often women are quite anxious at work but the thing is that we can't come to work as a clean slate we come to work and we bring all of the shit that we're kind of trying to navigate at the same time so we kind of bring all of the stuff we need to organize for our kids for our pets for our home for our friendships our relationships and then we do our work our aging parents yeah exactly. exactly like you know I think that's There's a whole lot of baggage because I feel like those those are significant barriers. You know, Mm -hmm. sort of what happens to you when you take maternity leave. You know, when I went away, I came back and basically the company had restructured and I'd been demoted. So I was kind of like now um, one rung down the ladder. So it effectively been punished for going on maternity leave. And And that is not the exception.
0: No, that's that's very. I hear about this. All the time, and you're still, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're very nice. They don't actually get rid of you. you still have a job, but it, it it can be a job with 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 nothing to do, incredibly demoralising, directionless, and and it can induce you know proper sort of identity crises.
2: Yes, and that's a big part, I think, of if anyone reads the book, what I'd love them to take out is. So much of work is about confidence and trying to build that confidence within yourself. And I think if we go back to sort of almost thinking about when are the times in your life that you felt that I hate the word nailing it. In fact, I've, I've said sort of fuck nailing it because yeah, I think I it's that. sort of it kind of really encourages you to get working very, very hard in this kind of frenetic way. But I think look back on your career and think when were the times when I felt happy and like I was producing good work and kind of try, and if you are like coming back off maternity leave, try and channel some of that. I don't mean it in a kind of hokey-cokey way, but I just mean think about what were the kind of things that I was doing right at that point because I think as women as well we always try and be too perfect and we're always thinking mm. like I am not happy unless I achieve 100% success and you have a review and someone says well this was brilliant but you fuck that up a bit you know and the only bit that you tend to think about is that one detail whereas mm. I'm being very I'm sort of generalizing with men and women but in my experience having delivered a lot of reviews myself was that men tended to not listen to that criticism they just kind of batted it away and only focused on the positive parts of the of what they'd done to the point where sometimes it meant that you were having to keep repeating you know the things that had keep gone horribly saying, no, no, wrong no, that was, properly that was bad. really really really, <laughs> really fucked up whereas too often I think women kind of go away and they may be thinking when they're coming back off leave well I've really fucked all these things up and I'm no good I can't do technology I don't understand what's going on everything's changed everyone's younger than me you know what's going on try if you can to use whatever techniques you can to remember about the great work that you've done in the past because you have you know you, there are lots of examples where you've presented or you've networked really well or you know you've managed to write a really great piece of content or you know and try and think about those and if you if you can one of one of the people I spoke to actually said keep a list instead of focusing because your brain will always have that negative kind of bias try and write down all of the kind of celebratory things that you've done you know i this person they loved me somebody complimented me on my work you know and whenever you're feeling a bit shit and you're feeling like actually i can go i'm going into that negative brain world that kind of chatter bring those up again because i think we do have a bit more of a battle on our hands in terms of staying confident and actually confidence then leads to being able to create a more kind of successful work environment you know
1: there's a really good quote um from alice ollins who I, i love from the step up club and she's like Bring your whole self to the workspace as well. I think that that's one of the things that we've done too much wrong, where we've thought, I think historically we thought
0: that we had to, um, you know. Put, put on our power our fake brittle power ah. selves work and then on the way home remove our metaphorical or literal shoulder pads and then become all soft and you know but actually we've got so many superpowers around all our vulnerabilities and all our confusions and all the things that we juggle if you take those in then you, and, you, and you bring emotion into the boardroom then you've got something really interesting happen which statistics obviously show in terms of profit when you've got more women and working mothers working eight. yes
2: absolutely eight fucking men there and I think go. that I love that kind of analogy of of kind of showing up as your full self, because I think, you know, we are messy, we are imperfect, and so are men as well, you know, and we're doing an incredible amount. Um And I think... There was a time and I think that comes a little bit with the role models that we probably had in films and on TV growing up where we were taught to kind of pretend almost that we didn't have families or we didn't have home lives, you know. Um and almost like assume a lot of masculine traits, you know. There's even cases of women who have lowered their voices because there's been studies that have shown that men don't listen to high pitched voices in meetings, you know. Because they weren't...
0: they're so fucking stupid and limited, so I mean. They honestly just... <laughs> that's practically a disability they can't hear high pitches. Well, it's kind of of this idea of like you know is it a bird singing is a bird ah, got in the oh room all I can hear is
2: this kind of twitter twitter noise um, and I, again I don't want to be sexist to generalise and say that's all men but I think you know it is true that you know we need to unfortunately and I still think this is the case we have to sort of think a little bit more mindfully about our communication style a little bit in certain environments. Um, I want to move to a world where we can totally be ourselves, but I'll also acknowledge that I do tailor some of myself depending where I am. And I think when I first started work, I, I don't know whether you did this, I, I made a lot of boo-boos by, I'm a very open book, so I would walk into a meeting and say that I'd wet myself or, you know, I'd, I'd walk into a meeting and say that I really fancied the guy who was working on reception and then realise it was, you know, it was the boss's son or, you know, some sort of bullshit like that. And now I realise that I have to sort of, I do have to tame that wilder part of myself um, until I'm around people that I can kind of trust mm. and then I, I might add in a couple of provocative kind of, Statements, but uh, yeah. Yeah, if
0: you think about women that you've really admired and loved and been inspired by in the workspace, they have not been the robots. No. But my God, when we started work, you know, twenty years ago or whatever, there were some monstrous female bosses. Oh my lord! I mean, Um, you know, wow.
2: Yes, but I, I now I try and think about um, the pressure that they were under. And certainly yes. the, 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 women that I was working for, um, in my company, they, they each had three children and they were under incredible pressure because really, even in those days, there was no talk about flexi working or, you know, you were just, and the, and the kind of schedules they had, you know, they were kind of flying all over the place and it, and no wonder they were fucking grumpy because I mm. would be, you know, I would, it was, I feel like now, hopefully, we're in a point where we can negotiate a bit more about the work culture that we want. But back then, you just had to show up. You had to put your blazer on and you had to fight back the tears. And basically, I think all of the discussion was around manning up, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. be be a man, you know. Um,
0: but if you are looking for new work, whether it's um, flexi- full-time or, you know, freelance, I think it's really worth having a really, you know, casting your gimlet eye over who you're going to be working for, just as you would see who the neighbours were going to be if you're buying a house.
2: I know, but it's so difficult, Annabelle. It's so hard, because I was thinking that I've... um over Covid I was being doing interviews over Zoom so um, I remember going to work for somebody um, and I'd never actually met them in the flesh so I was purely trying to read what kind of boss they were going to be by their sort of facial expressions anyway to cut a long story short it was an absolute bloody nightmare it was awful it was the worst experience I've ever had and that almost I mean sort of that kind of really overbearing micromanaging psychologically just damages you. And it meant that actually from that point, it took me about six months to recover Mm. my confidence. Um, Mm. There was this funny little thing where I would be in a presentation writing a presentation and they would be amending the presentation whilst I was writing it. So it's almost like if you imagine writing an article and while you're writing it, somebody is copy editing it for you so you're kind of trying desperately to get back on top with this thing and your brain is just going you've really fucked this up that's another mistake there's another mm. mistake
1: look mm. here's another thing also I can't type I literally can't type when someone's watching it's like yes. I, it's like it becomes but get a third hand do you know what I mean but not in a good way
0: but work you know, can't be perfect but it also doesn't have to be everything Yes. You know, we're all—it's another thing that we're sold. A phrase that I think is really crippling is, "Do you find something you're passionate about?" Oh, I That, hate that. is a really big ask. What if yeah. I just find something you're quite good at that you know gives you a bit of joy, <laughs> mm. have a bit of a laugh, you can be productive, earns you know earns you some money, and there'll be pockets of it you're passionate about, mm. sure. But but you know that, that that's that's just that's just you're not so possible. right. What did was... that tennis player say? um? That tennis oh. player last week. Oh my god,
1: I'm obsessed with him, Nick Kyrgios, who. Went when he was in the semi of the final of Wimbledon and uh, during the interview after he'd lost against Novak Djokovic he Sue Barker says so you know this was your first Grand Slam final um has it whetted your appetite for kind of you know the next bit and he was like no fucking way I'm exhausted <laughs> <laughs> we've just played too much tennis yeah. and it was so brilliant to hear him go not sort of like an automaton to go kind of yes I'm now focused on the future he's like I'm tired guys I am tired and I just I love him I love I love that because I feel like
2: that's the thing when I read profiles of successful people that is often missing you know there's often this kind of description of someone's routine which is kind of like they get up at four they do pilates they do a conference call you know they make 17 pack lunches you know they go for another run and do some more pilates and hire some people and it's only 11 o'clock in the morning (laughs) and nobody actually talks about how tiring it is or even what what I think is quite refreshing is to say, listen, in order to get where I've got, I've had to make some massive sacrifices along the way. I don't have a relationship. Maybe I wanted to have kids, but I didn't have kids. You know, I, I live on my own and I don't have a social life. But I have. this has all come because I've prioritised my career at all points, you know, and I've, I've achieved success to the outside world. Because I think what's most damaging is when particularly women believe that there is this superwoman that exists who has it all. And I haven't met any, and I've met a lot of very successful women, you know, women who, um, you know, from the outside, you think, fucking hell, they do have it all. But they don't, there's always something. And it is it is exhausting, which I think is another interesting thing to think is, at this moment in time, maybe post COVID, your attitude to work is going to be, I'm limping along, I'm limping along. Um, and then maybe next year is going to be about reaching out and achieving a bit more. But at the moment, I'm just limping to the end of the year in one piece, you know. So don't have this idea that you're accelerating at all times because I sort of feel... For me, like I have other aspects of my my life that are important to me. I really want to regenerate my friendships because I feel like I haven't seen friends enough um, and I'm losing friends because I'm not putting any effort into that. And there's loads of other stuff. I want to go and do some sort of exercise that is kind of fulfilling, maybe go and do outdoor swimming because I keep seeing everybody doing that. Um, So there's other things that I want to do. So it's like, I think that's what we keep coming back to it's not the only thing don't get such a narrow perspective yes, on yes if
0: there comes a time at some point imagine a time where we're all a little bit less tired we wouldn't necessarily have to use that extra bit of energy for work yes yeah um so you know here's to a time when we're all less tired well if that time exactly if that time ever comes but yeah yeah you know take it easy
2: on yourself and remind yourself of what you've done well um and the biggest lesson I've learned is you know, really tell that negative voice to fuck off because mm. I think, especially when we get into perimenopause, for me at the moment, I'm definitely in perimenopause and the negative voice is very, very loud. Um, it's telling me I'm fat and disgusting and sweaty and unsuccessful and I haven't got a nice house. And It's telling me that my kids are going to be failures and my relationship is shit. It's telling me everything. And I'm having to choose very much to drown it out with some other messages and I do very much see that as just kind of almost personifying it as a kind of an evil twin and saying just fuck off out of it you're not useful to me you know today yes there
0: is a there is a, uh, um, a time to be quite fierce um, with um, with your inner arsehole and go this is not appropriate yes. fuck you yes rather than you know you know doing being very kind and gentle and drawing diagrams yes. Yes, exactly. um, The Big Quit, How to Ditch the Job You Hate and Find Work You Love by the sensational Anarchy Somerville is out in August. Yes, August the 18th. August the 18th. And, um, and, and we highly recommend it. Anarchy, please come back and see us soon. Yes. And we can talk more about Autumn Batter.
2: Yeah, so I'll have, have to update you on my on my plaster cast bottom
0: sculpture, <laughs> which I'm this. now going to tend to. Yes. <laughs> please do. That Thank is a cliffhanger. You. Thanks okay. so much. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.